during the worship, we had some people that were brave enough to to start to try and clap and on beat to get some rhythm from the crowd. I know Sister Nita would probably appreciate that. And, oh, no, it's like you hear him starting, and the joy roses in my heart. And I'm like, yes, people are going to start clapping. It's going to be a good time of worship. And it was a great time of worship, but no one else joined in to clap, and eventually the clapping kind of died off. And so I want to encourage you, if you're, if you're here on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, okay, if you want a good laugh, look at me during service sometime and realize that I clap with one hand closed and one hand open so that it makes zero noise. Because I can't clap on beat. So people that can clap on beat, clap for us. Help us to get a little bit of instrumental from the crowd to help with the worship, whether it be in a morning or a Wednesday service. So you're welcome. If no one else does it, clap louder, and eventually it will catch on, and we will be a clapping people. All right. I want to talk to you this morning. I got the book of Acts, chapter 16, verses 16 through 39. I titled the, the entirety of the, the lesson today is a demonstration of the power of God. And it's, it's a good title, I think, because we get to see a story, a place in history of Paul and Silas and something that they went through and how God amazingly touched their lives and gave them an attitude and a spirit that was correct and right for the moment and at the same time was able to minister to those around him, even those that were persecuting him. So, turn that on first. Right, we have a story in verse 16 of a possessed damsel, the Bible says. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her master's gain by soothsaying. Possessed with the spirit of divination, who had a spirit of python is what it, what it was drawn from, from the original language. And that just was something that was noted as and came to known as supernatural abilities of fortune-telling or soothsaying. The word was also used for ventriloquism. So the, the, the story is I'm trying to play it back in my mind. I always thought there was this woman kind of just uh, hassling them a little bit, just speaking loudly maybe from a distance or something, but... Really, probably what was happening is she probably was not from a far distance, and she was continuing to follow them as they were walking, even on their way to prayer. Um, and she was crying out loudly, uh, probably with weird voices, which would make the whole situation that much more weird. She probably didn't speak in, in just the woman voice. She probably changed her tone a little bit or, or was throwing it around a little bit. And so it was a very awkward moment for Paul and Silas trying to minister. I mean, if you can imagine that, they're, they're walking to prayer and there's this woman that is just making a fool of herself. She's speaking some truth about who they are and what they're there to do, but she's just completely awkward. It's a very weird situation for these guys and what they're dealing with. In verse 17, the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her the same hour. Now, here's my question. Why did Paul cast out the spirit? The woman was speaking the truth. 
She was talking about them being men of God, saying that they had the way of salvation. And and people all around would have noticed this woman. They would have heard her talking. They would have heard her saying what she was saying. And and it could have got the attention of other people around and, and drew people to Paul and Silas so that they could find out the way of salvation, so that they could be showed that. It was great publicity for the gospel, one would think. She was drawing attention to their work. She said they were servants. She spoke the truth. So what was the problem? Why did he cast out the Spirit? And it's because it matters who has the microphone. Not everybody speaking and talking about your ministry or about the ministry of the gospel is going to benefit the message. And this woman was tied into uh, something that everybody understood had to do with demon possession and had to do with so-called supernatural powers that were not from God, but completely the opposite. Her masters used her to try and make money and to try and make gain, and everyone in the town would know because they, people had been to her. That's the place where she worked. People had come to her for fortune-telling. They'd come to her to find out what's going to happen and, and everything for their futures. And the Bible says, Let not then your good be evil spoken of. Paul didn't want the work of God to be associated with the work of this woman and her masters. And we have to be careful in that area because we always think that And I'm not talking about it matters who has the microphone, whether it's somebody in a fancy suit or some bum on the street. That's not the case at all, because the person on the street can have a heart for God and a love for God just as much as the person in the suit. But people that that are associated with untruth and lies and people that are associated with manipulation, and everybody knows them for that purpose, would have been a horrible example for her to continue to talk about Paul and Silas because she was in one way promoting them. And so for her to be, for them to be promoted by her looked bad, brought association, and automatically everyone would have started lumping them together and the message would have lost its power because no one would have had faith in it because they were tying it together with this crazy woman. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. And here's something we got to understand. Is you can't expect for the world to celebrate your deliverance. They're not going to be excited when God blesses you. They're not going to get excited when you get delivered. Your friends from the world are not going to get all pumped up and and gung-ho about you not coming to their parties anymore about you not drinking alcohol or, or bringing the drugs to the party or hanging out or, or spending the night at your boyfriend's house or your girlfriend's house. When God moves and He delivers somebody from that, you can't look back to them to verify and to, to put their stamp of approval on what's happening. And you have to know it's never going to come. And so if you're relying on them to get excited for you, for you to continue on with your walk, you're going to never make it past that stage. And these men didn't care one bit. All they worried about was their gain. Her freedom meant nothing to them. They were completely upset that their monetary gain, their their money was going to be gone because this woman no longer was possessed by a demon. Can you imagine that? Somebody to be as low-hearted and as not caring to say that I would rather see this person be abused and be manipulated and demon-possessed so that I can make money rather than seeing that person free. And it's all across the world. 
Everybody is starting to get touched by that in, in different rooms of the world. They're all trying to make gain. The world is just trying to push and say, build for yourself, make good for yourself, build bigger barns, fill those barns, build bigger ones after that and fill those as well and never care about who you hurt in the process. Don't look to the world to get excited. You've got to know that when you're delivered, he did the deliverance. When you're prospered, he did the prospering. And then when you know that, you just look back to him and thank him. And that's all, the, that's all you need. Paul and Silas did not resist when these men grabbed them and wanted to take them to the rulers. You're preaching the gospel. You're not breaking any laws. You're not doing anything wrong, so to speak. And a demon gets cast out. You do something that's necessary for the, uh, for the gospel to be able to go forward. And these men get upset and they grab you. How do you react to that? Because I know certain people would think right away that, listen, I did nothing wrong. We're doing right. We're in the Lord's will. He put us in this place. And now these men are trying to, to outside of God's will, so to speak, grab us and drag us away to the rulers. And they made no fight about it. They didn't try to shrug them off. They didn't try to push them off. You don't got any stories of Paul is swinging, Silas swinging. Nobody's getting beat up. There's no fight here. They're just drug off to meet the rulers. And they're probably lucky that it was Paul and Silas and not Peter. These might have been two brothers missing their ears had they tried pulling this on Peter. I hope that's not the case. I hope Peter, by the time of this moment, would have been far past the the place he was at when he drew his sword. But the truth is there are a lot of people that would not have allowed this to go this way. So I think that in this moment, God was dealing with Paul and Silas and giving them what they needed to be able to let it go down like this. Personally, think about it in your own life. How would you have reacted to that? No one likes being grabbed. No one likes being pushed around. And these guys are doing it to them in spite because they're doing the work of God. It would have been easy for them to rise up and say, oh, no, in the name of Jesus. And they would have just threw them down or tackled them or wrestled them down. It would have been easy. It could have been an easy temptation for them. But we have to know that God gave them the spirit and strength within to overcome something like that at that moment. In verse 20, they brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. They had no authority to punish Paul and Silas, so they falsely accused them and turned the rulers and the crowd against them. They knew exactly what would get the job done. They mentioned that they were Jews, most Romans hated Jews, and they taught customs unlawful to Rome, for Rome to receive. And the Romans were high, mighty people. They thought of their society and their their status to be above everything else, to be the top of the the game, and so that if anybody was going to try and bring any other rules other than what they had already established, any other customs, it it was like spitting in their face and saying that what you have isn't good enough. So we're bringing something different. And so these two men knew exactly how to get everybody on their side. Paul and Silas are doing the work of God, and these men get troubled by their work, by the ministry of the gospel, and so they bring them in front of these people and start to lie. Once again, something we may end up facing on our jobs, um, in our daily walk. You're just living your life, being a great witness, trying to do the things of God, and somebody gets tired of hearing you talk about Jesus. 
Somebody might get tired of hearing you do whatever you're doing. They may get tired of you seeing you in the morning smiling and, and going on about yourself. And they may see the ladies and think, man, I'm so sick of seeing her with her hair down or with her, her skirts on every single time she comes into work smiling. And, and since they cannot do anything to you, they find a way, and so now they're backbiting, and now they're talking about you behind your back, and, and now they're going to the boss and bringing up false accusations, and, and they get other people on board by, by mentioning things to them that are not true, things that are not right, and so that everybody jumps on board. And before you know it, you can easily, as a Christian, find yourself being pinned down by a group of people, whether it be at work or wherever you may be, and they're trying to overcome you, and they're doing it all by lies. They're falsifying everything, and that's exactly where these two men find themselves. And the multitude rose up together against them. The magistrate rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. There was no trial, no hearing, no opportunity for them to defend themselves. These men said exactly what was necessary to set a fire inside of the, the lives of the magistrates and the crowd, and they immediately begin to beat them like a mob would just rise up and, and overcome and overtake them. And they're beating Paul and Silas. As I was reading this, many stories in history throughout the Bible, I read and I, and I can say, man, these guys are, are great people great men of faith. And sometimes I get misconstrued to believing that, that the ones that do great things like Paul, Silas, and, and others throughout history in the Bible are somehow supernatural people. It's like these are great men outside of what I could ever be. And instead of liking myself to what they could be, I liken myself to the ones that have fallen, to the ones that have failed. And I think that if I'm going to be anybody in the Bible, I'm human, so I must be the ones that always fail. I must be the one that never comes through and pulls anything off. But that's not the case. It's not the case at all. The Bible is, is derived of ordinary people. Everyday ordinary people. The, the disciples were chosen and there was those that were tax collectors, those that were fishermen, and, and he still gathered them all up together. And then we have the history of the New Testament revealing how each one of those people were used sometimes in supernatural ways, sometimes in great faith, and they're everyday folks just like me and you. So when we're looking at Paul and Silas and, and the, the crowd grabbed them and, and began to beat them and was going to throw them into prison, they're getting their, the daylights kicked out of them and they're able to, to not fight back. They're able not to raise their hand. Don't think that that can't be you. Because that's a normal person with the supernatural power of God working in their life. By themselves, they could not have done that. By themselves, they probably would have been fighting. By themselves, it would have been a different story. But only through the Spirit of God were they able to stand in this situation and able to go through what they're going through without attacking back. The Jewish law was 40 stripes, minus one. They didn't want you to go over. But this wasn't Jewish law. This was the Romans. The Romans could go far beyond that. They could beat you as much as they wanted to beat you, many times leaving it in a very gruesome sight with people's backs completely tore up, their bodies bruised and ripped by these beatings. You imagine that. I mean, my dad, he's, he's got a bad habit of coming up to me, and he always, for whatever reason, he taps me right on my back. Slap. Anybody ever did that to you? It stings. And I get frustrated. Dad, quit that. It's been like that for like 15 years of my life. And every time I see him, it's the same thing. 
And it stings and it gets aggravating, but imagine some sort of, of pole or some piece of wood, whatever it was that they used to administer this beating, slashing across your back many, many times. And probably as you're trying to cover your back, you're getting hit in other places. And you're just getting tore to pieces. Tore to pieces. Bloody and beaten. Because you were doing the work of the Lord. And Paul and Silas never mentioned throughout this trial, that they were Romans. Now, we're not going to get into that much now, but later in the story we are. Just remember that they're in this place. They're getting beat. And they do not for one moment. Maybe they didn't have time. I don't know. The crowd might have rushed them too hard, but they never mentioned that they were Romans. Verse 23, And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. The stocks would have made it very difficult for them to try and find any type of comfortable position to sit in. You picture the stocks, you picture, at least I picture, and many people that I read pictured uh, a piece of wood having a, a hole cut out, a half circle on one side and the other piece of wood doing the same thing and then putting over your feet and locking them, keeping your legs kind of in the out position, you know? just feet moving together, horrible position to be in, very uncomfortable, I'm sure, let alone the fact that you feel like you're probably bleeding to death. They're completely abused sitting in this, getting ready to go into this jail and prison, and the jailer was expected to keep them there. And if they were to escape, he would have to pay with his life. So it was them or him. The jailer made the decision, obviously. And he put the stocks on them, put them in the inner prison to assure himself that they would not get out. And then we think about the condition of Paul and Silas at this point in this little situation. They were falsely accused, forced to participate in a circus of a trial. They were denied a defense. They were found guilty. They were beaten severely, thrown in the inner prison with their feet fast in stocks. How would you have felt right then, right there? Everyday people going throughout their life and their ministry on their way to prayer found themselves in a matter of moments, not at prayer, but beaten completely. I mean, I just can't describe it enough how bad these men were probably beaten. They were falsely accused. They are now in a prison. How would you have felt about your call to that place that God put on your heart now? Would you feel alone? Would you feel hurt, betrayed? I mean, goodness, let's be honest. Sometimes God tells us to put 50 bucks in the offering, and three days later we're wondering if we should have done that. You start second-guessing it, seeing when you need your Big Mac or your value meal or a toy or you want to buy a cell phone, you start wondering if you should have put that 50. God, did you really want me to put that 50? Because you know I could have bought this or you know I could have bought that. In small situations. And yet Paul and Silas are sitting here in prison. Hurting. You can imagine how they would have felt. My imagination was far incorrect. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. And sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. They prayed and sung praises unto God. The Lord must have minimized their pain. 
It had to have been supernatural for those men to be in the condition they were in and sitting there. I know we think, oh, these guys were just, were just singing and, and laughing through all the pain. Maybe there was pain, but the pain that they should have been feeling should have overcome them in a way that they could barely breathe, let alone sing. And they find themselves in the prison and they're singing and they're praying at midnight. Their current state did not change who God is. He still deserves praise, demands obedience, and draws nigh to those who draw nigh to Him. Sometimes we think we get a free pass to be disobedient or not to have faith when we're going through something hard. When we're going through a struggle or a temptation or a trial in our lives. But God is still looking to you to see your faith in Him. To see your confidence in Him. Will you still praise me when you're going through a storm? Will you still look to me and draw nigh to me so that I can draw nigh to you when you feel like everything else has crumbled? We don't get a free pass to step back and just look at the situation and say, God, I'm sorry, but I'm not calling on you this time. I'm not going to believe this time because I'm hurting too bad. And remember that in your deepest pain, that He still is God. And He still needs you to draw nigh to Him if you want Him to draw nigh to you. He still needs to be worshipped and deserves to be worshipped. Demands your attention. Even in your worst of situations, that does not change. And Paul and Silas recognized that as they worshipped and as they prayed at midnight in prison. Now it says that the prisoners heard them. And this is a part that just really tickled me. I really enjoyed what happened here. There were probably some pretty bad dudes there. It's a prison, right? People are in there for reasons. They've broken laws. They've done things that are wrong. It's not the greatest group of men or women to be around when you find yourselves in a prison. Those awaiting trial were probably very anxious and unsure. I mean, when you're in jail and you're just there because you know you've got charges against you and you're waiting to find out what the judge is going to say and you're waiting to find out what your future is going to be like, your stomach is turning. You get extremely anxious. You're wondering what's going on. You're just second-guessing and saying, well, if this happens, I'll get this much time. If, if this happens, I'll get this much time. And, and the last thing that you want to hear is somebody in there trying to sing praises to God or praying. You don't want to hear nothing. You want your silence. And they weren't getting any silence from Paul and Silas. Long-term guys would have been the same way, but on the other side, they didn't want to hear any noise, any singing. It's midnight. They would have wanted to sleep because they're just trying to get to bed to get one more day to pass so they can finish their time. In either situation, those that were hearing them singing, I couldn't imagine them wanting to hear it. And yet they did hear it. And we have no record of them ever trying to shut them down ever yelling at them and telling them to be quiet. All we know is that they sang, they prayed, and they heard. And there was no response. No one complained. It would be a miracle for you to put people in that situation and for those guys not to be completely frustrated with the happiness that the other two found in prison when they were just completely disgusted with what they were feeling. The last thing they want is to hear, but no one tried to stop them. And then there's a great earthquake. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. What kind of earthquake causes locks to come undone and stocks to fall off? I mean, the foundation of the building was shaken and all we got record of is the chains coming undone 
and the door is opening. It just doesn't make sense to me. Look at earthquakes in our natural time when we see them. If doors are getting, if a lock was able to be shaken undone, the walls would not be standing. It's just not going to happen. The, 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 the chains were flexible. They could have moved a lot before they would have really felt the force of the earthquake. But the prison walls that were stationary, the things that would have felt the brunt of the quake, were obviously still standing because when we come to a later verse, he puts them all back in there. Puts them back in prison. God will sometimes allow something that seems natural move in a supernatural way. And what we've got to do as his children is never mistake God's involvement is anything less than that. Because God moved here in a special way when the earthquake came. I don't know if earthquakes were common then. I have no clue. But if they were something that would take place and people knew about them, they could have wrote it off easily. Is that what would have happened? And God brought an earthquake that necessarily wouldn't have stood out in and of itself. But those people inside that prison would have known something happened supernaturally, something they couldn't explain when their chains fell off, the doors swung open, and the stocks were off their feet. Their stocks were off their feet. How does that happen? It doesn't happen. God moved, and he made a difference. He opened all these things up himself. James 1.17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Don't talk yourself into believing that your promotion at work is because of you necessarily. God blesses you and gives you favor. God opens doors for you to move up in a company. God opens doors for you to move up in your friendships, to be able to have some sort of leadership to guide people that don't know the Lord. It's God. No matter how good you talk, no matter how nice you are, no matter how pretty you are, how handsome you are, when things happen that are good, recognize that God is the one that allowed them to happen. Because if not, we start getting kind of boastful and thinking, man, we made this happen. I can do this. I can make it. And before long, you start thinking, I don't need God. Oh, no. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. He's looking out for you. You don't have the power on your own. Paul saves the jailer's life. The keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. Remember, he he had to charge these guys with his life. He kept them or they were going to kill him. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Paul saved the life of the man that had the keys to keep him bound. The one that put him in the inner prison. The one that put the stocks upon his feet. The one that assured the others that brought him there that he would not let him go. His life depended on it. Paul did that. Why were they all still there? Would you have hollered to the guy that had the keys to keep you bound? You could have even got confused enough to think this was my way out. I mean, what happened before with Peter? Did the angel not come in there silently? Open the doors? Walk him out? They would have known of that story. They could have thought this is our opportunity. Once again, I just want us to recognize how much God is involved in every little step that's going on in this story. He is helping them to know how to react and to respond. Bloody and beaten, he cries out and says, Do thyself no harm. We're all here. 
Now, I can see how God dealt with Paul and Silas maybe to keep them there, but I don't know how the other prisoners didn't run. Maybe they were too nervous. They saw the earthquake. They experienced everything, and they were frightened and couldn't move. Maybe the jailer came in immediately at the very end of the earthquake. I don't know. But somehow no one left this prison, including those who were supposed to be there and guilty of their crimes. They stayed there, and they waited. They were all still there. Paul saved his life. When he called for a light and sprang in, he came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And this is the greatest miracle, is when someone comes to Christ. Healing, financial blessings, peace and joy are, are all, should be all, beautiful miracles, but nothing compares to the saving of a soul. Nothing compares. And you talk to a, to a person, I, I had a problem with my joints and my wrists when I was in prison, and, and they would slip out of place. I have no clue how it happened, but it would be continually, probably 20 times a day, excruciating pain until they popped back in. Hurt tremendously. And I was grateful when God just one day, I don't even know, I never felt anything, just one day it quit. And it quit doing that, and it quit hurting. And I was grateful for that. I'm so thankful for that. But I'm not more thankful for that than I am the blood of Christ. Than my soul being saved from eternal damnation. Nothing compares to that. And through this whole story, we're finding here that, that man, maybe all of this God took and used for his good. Even though Paul and Silas had to suffer, had to go through this, it could be for his good. And so they shared the gospel. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. His house, they're not saying that his household could be saved by his faith. That's not the case. Believe on the Lord. What about repentance? What about baptism? What about the Holy Ghost? He asked the question, which they asked in Acts chapter 2. So what do we do to be saved? And at first glance, and many people take it all out of context, and say that all you've got to do is believe on the Lord. Well, you know what? If they just said that, you could really truly agree with that. All you've got to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you're believing on me, you will do what I've told you to do. If you do not, then you don't love me, Jesus is saying. So if you want to stop there, go ahead and stop there. But understand what the verse means before you try and before other people try and teach that or preach that as being all you have to do is believe on the Lord. Verse 32, and they spoke unto them the word of the Lord and to all that were in their house. Another note showing that their household could not be saved by his faith or they would have just been teaching the jailer. But they were teaching the entire household the word of the Lord after they told them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because now they needed to know what believing on Him meant. They needed to understand what that meant. Verse 33, And He took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. He and who? All His. Straightway. They were baptized. Every one of them. They shared the message before tending to their own needs. Paul and Silas this man comes to them, and they can see immediately the favor God has given them to minister to him. 
And they went ahead and passed up on trying to get themselves fixed up first and asking this man for his help and asking him to patch up their backs. And they just started ministering to him and answering his questions about salvation, how he could be saved. Something great just took place, but something greater is getting ready to happen if they will allow themselves to minister outside of their own needs. You know, sometimes the end of service comes and, and you know somebody that's kind of been on the fringe or you know somebody, you can see them at the altar and they're praying and, and you know it would just be the right thing to go ahead and go down there at the end of service and hang out for just a little while longer to, to pray with that person, encourage that person, but yet we're hungry or yet we're tired. And so instead of spending that little bit of time, we acknowledge our personal need, our personal desire. And we find ourselves leaving as fast as possible and leaving that poor person up front that really could have used somebody to touch them and pray with them all alone. Baptism must have been part of what Paul and Silas explained to them, or else how would they have known? Who taught it to them? Death, burial, resurrection repentance, baptism, Holy Ghost. They taught that. Luke has, Luke has recorded so much of the, the salvation process already up until this point. After this, and even shortly before this, sometimes he doesn't include everything in it when somebody comes to Christ. He doesn't have to rehash the whole ceremony, the whole process. He expects us to know that. You think Paul and Silas changed their message? No, they kept the same message. Luke expects us to know When he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. His whole house believed. Paul and Silas, now they ate after sharing the gospel. Now they got some food and took care of themselves. Over and over again, Paul and Silas put the gospel far before themselves. When he rebuked the spirit in the beginning of this lesson, it was for the gospel's sake, not for his own sake. I'm sure Paul was frustrated with this woman following him around and chasing him, but it was for the gospel. If it was all about his frustration, the second day he would have got rid of it. He would have cast it out. But he didn't. He dealt with it as long as he could, and then he realized it was going to be a hindrance. He cast it out. They didn't react, I'm sure, to the people when they were uh, taking them to the rulers and the magistrates because they did not want to look bad for the gospel's sake. They got there and they started to beat them and falsely accuse them and they did not react for the gospel's sake. Because if it was for their sake that they was worried about, if it was for their sake, he would have at that point, with all his strength, screamed to the top of his lungs, we're Roman citizens. You can't treat us like this. When it was day, the magistrate sent the surgeon saying, let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily. Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. Now we see a different attitude. Now we see something that's a lot, a lot more uh, a lot more telling them, you're not just going to walk over me again. They've already beat me. Paul refused to leave under such conditions because how the message they preached would have looked, not because how he would have looked. The prison, they were being released from prison. They could have felt fear within themselves about having to be attacked. Again, 
and could have got an easy scapegoat. And when the door came, he said, no, I'm not taking that. This only time was the only time Paul used his Roman citizenship, and it was not to protect himself. Once again, it was to protect the message. Several times he could have spoken out, and it would have greatly helped him. Here's the rules. Roman citizens don't get treated like that. You don't just give them a false trial, no defense, and no way to defend themselves, and then beat them openly, and then throw them in prison. It's unheard of. In fact, those that would have done that, those that would treat another Roman citizen like that, themselves would at the very least been beaten and possibly killed for those actions. Paul, at any time, he could have pressed this issue, and he could have pushed it, especially at this point. He could have pushed it and said, no, I've had enough. I'm a Roman citizen. You guys are going to pay, and I'm going to go straight to the people that know about this and let them know everything. And now you're going to die. You're going to get beaten. How about vengeance? How about that? How's it feel now? But he did nothing. He never even brought it up until he wanted to protect the message once again. I don't want it looking like we were doing something wrong. I don't want it looking like the gospel's not for everyone. You're not going to treat us that way. No way. Treat me that way, but not the message. You can look down on me, but you can't look down on the message. The surgeons told these words to the magistrates. They feared when they heard that they were Romans. Of course they did. And they can't, everybody's tough until this point, right? And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. What have we learned? We're out of time. Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So, Lord, we just ask you to go with us today. Help to remind us, God, that when you're in control, no matter how things seem, you are in control. You are the leader, you are the light, and we will always turn to you and rely on you, trusting in you that everything you're doing in our lives is good. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you.